once you got your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, today we will be looking at verses 13 through 28 in a, uh, a message that I have entitled, Building on Sand. And so, let's pray. Lord God, we're just so thankful for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. Lord, we just ask that uh, you be with us today, Lord. Have your hand over this Bible study, that it just goes to glorify you, God, that it goes to honor you. Lord, just pray that we draw nearer to you through this study, Lord. Um, again, just ask that you're glorified, God, that you have your hand, your hand in it, have your hand through it, Lord, that your word is just taught the way you want it to be taught today, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, folks, the Bible says that when Jesus concluded his Sermon on the Mount, that people were astonished by his authoritative style of teaching. The power Jesus used when teaching was unlike anything they had ever heard. And today, we're going to be looking at a part of that teaching. As many of you know, Matthew chapter 7 is the third of three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, which Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is recorded. The Sermon on the Mount was a sermon taught by Jesus in which he would state a principle and then he would go on to elaborate, illustrate, and explain that principle. He repeats this process several times throughout chapters 5 through 7 and today we're going to be looking at the last four principles that Jesus taught over in his Sermon on the Mount. And so if you'll join me, here we are, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 starting right here in verse 13 and Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. While it may seem like there are multiple different pathways we can take in life, uh, while it may seem there are many different roads in which a person can travel, the reality is there are only two. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. The narrow path that Jesus is referring to here in Matthew chapter 7 is that path. The path to Christ is an unpopular one, it is a difficult one, but it's also the right one. It is, it is the path that Jesus, that, at, excuse me, it is the path that, as Jesus put it, is the path that leads to life. This is the path that Jesus teaches a person to walk down. This is the path where we learn to deny ourselves, to love others, and to be humble. This is the path that teaches, teaches us to put God and others above ourselves. This is the path that teaches us that our heart is deceitful above all things and that we should trust in the Lord. This is the path in which we learn there is only one truth, and his name is Jesus. Now, the broad path that Jesus is speaking of is everything else. This is the way of the world. This is the path that tells a person all the lies of the world. It tells them they can work their way into heaven. It tells them, just be a good person and you're saved. This is the path that tells people it's okay if you don't believe in the Bible, just follow your truth. This is the way that, that tells people identify with whatever or whomever you like. It's your choice. This is the path that says love yourself first. How can you love others if you don't first love yourself? 
This is the path that says, follow your heart. In other words, this is the path of deceit, the path of religion, the path of personal righteousness, and it is the path that leads us away from God. But, notice this. The choice is ours. Every person who has ever lived and ever will live has to make an individual choice to follow Jesus or to follow the world. But it's your choice. God doesn't force you into anything. And you'll hear people say, how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, it's simple, really. Ladies, let me ask you a question. If there's a man that asks you on a date, but you're not interested in him, what do you do? You turn him away, right? Well, what if he keeps pursuing you? He comes to your house. Maybe he buys you you flowers. He constantly calls you. Now you should really push him away, right? If he really loved you, he'd let you go. Yes? Well, it's like this. God loves us so much that he's not going to force us to spend eternity with him if we don't want to. If we continue to reject God, it's not like when we have the opportunity to spend eternity apart from him, he says, hey, where are you going? You're with me now. No way. Remember, God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell. We're all on the path to hell from the get-go. God provided a way out. He provided a way to eternal life in heaven through his son's death on the cross. That's why it's called the good news. Because he is our savior. And all we have to do is trust in him. The question for you is, which path have you chosen to take? Maybe you originally chose to take the narrow path and the allure of the world has pulled you back onto the broad path. Well, I say to you today, know that as long as you still have breath in your lungs, it's never too late to come back to Jesus. However, keep in mind, no one is guaranteed tomorrow, and Christ can return at any time. Don't delay your decision. Make your calling and election sure today. Now, Jesus shifts his focus to identifying false prophets, so let's continue reading in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Jesus just warned us of a path that leads to destruction. Now he reminds us that there are many who will try to lead us along that broad path. The first step to combating these false prophets is to simply be aware of them. He says twice that you'll know the false prophets by their fruits. Meaning, do their words and actions align with Scripture? 
Is what they're saying biblical? Is what they're doing biblical? Jesus lays it out very plainly for us. A good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. If they're a bad tree, a.k.a. a false prophet, a person who hasn't committed their life to Christ, their fruits will reflect that. If they're a good tree, a.k.a. a person who has committed their life to Christ, their actions will reflect that. You guys, this is why it's so important to always be wearing the full armor of God. To always run everything you see and hear through a biblical filter. If we run through life on autopilot, it's very easy to be deceived into thinking thinking that something is the truth when it's not. It can be very easy to fall into the subtle traps of sin. And he also tells us to be particularly aware of the fact that they're going to try and deceive us. They come to us in sheep's clothing. They're going to try and act as someone or something that they're not to try and trick us. I found this quote when studying this section. It says, Warnings against false prophets are necessarily based on the conviction that not all prophets are true, that truth can be violated, and that the gospel's enemies usually conceal their hostility and try to pass themselves off as fellow believers. That sound familiar to anyone? Anyone heard of these transgender churches? Or here's one for you. Anyone ever heard this term? Progressive Christianity. Yeah. Let me tell you guys something. The Bible doesn't progress with time. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look, I know these are sensitive topics, okay? But here's the deal. These groups of people are trying harder than ever to push their beliefs onto anyone they can, especially those who are in opposition to them. We have to recognize that these belief systems, and I'm talking specifically about progressive Christians, the LGBTQ community, etc., we have to recognize that they are deceitful at their core. They deceive people from knowing the truth. Now, hang with me, guys. People will ask, shouldn't churches be more inclusive? Yes, absolutely churches should be more inclusive. We should, and do, allow anyone to come in here, regardless of their belief system. I mean, Jesus was the friend of sinners, right? He hung out with everyone, man, regardless of their sin. But here's the key. When Jesus hung out with sinners, it was they who went away changed, not him. Now, I was told that if you say something profound, you should repeat it for emphasis. Okay? So, when Jesus hung out with sinners, it was they who went away changed, not him. What I'm getting at is this. The world should not be influencing the church The church should be influencing the world. Another key. Jesus loved the sinner, but hated the sin. That's what the Bible teaches us as Christians to do. Love the sinner, hate the sin. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you 
choose to align with those who believe the same as you but hate everyone else? Is that what it says? No. If you have love for one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. If you have a friend or a family member in the LGBTQ community, I encourage you to shower that person with love. Love them like no one else will. Don't love their sin. Don't encourage their sin. Encourage them in and with truth. Pray for them. Pray over them. You guys, I am thoroughly convinced that there is a large percentage of that community that is truly hungry for truth and would latch on to it the second they heard it. I heard Pastor Chuck Smith make this reference one time, and I think it's so true. You know how the more tired a toddler will get, the harder they'll fight sleep? Yeah. You know, someone might see him and think, well, they're not tired at all, when in reality they're exhausted. Well, sometimes the people who fight the hardest against the truth who fight the hardest against Jesus, who seem like they're just miles away from ever being saved, they're actually just right on the cusp. They're so close to being saved. If you have a progressive Christian friend or family member, love that person more than anyone else will. Don't love their sin. Don't encourage their sin. Pray for them. And encourage them in truth. So here's the three takeaways, and write these down. Number one, Jesus hung out, when Jesus hung out with sinners, it was they who in a way changed, not him. Number two, the world should not be influencing the church, but the church should be influencing the world. And number three, love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, with all that being said, I think it's important to point this out. We just sat here and pointed out the sins of others. Christian, don't you dare walk away from this service today thinking that you're better than anyone else. Let me tell you something. You're not. You're a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. Jesus humbly reminds us in John chapter 13, verse 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Servants, raise your hands. Raise your hands, servants. Now, who's your master? If you, if you, if you raise your hand, say his name. Jesus, Jesus that's right. Now, uh, raise your hand if you fall under the category of he who is sent. Now, who sent you? If, you? if you raise your hand, say his name. Jesus. Jesus, that's right. Now, with that knowledge, let's go back and read that verse again. John 13, 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Um, all that to say, you're not great. I'm not great. No one here is great. You're not important. I'm not important. No one here is important. We have a master, and we're not greater than he is. 
And you're not better than anyone, okay? You're not better than the gay couple down the street. You're not better than the drug addict on the corner who's begging for money, okay? G listen here, Jesus died for them just as much as he died for us, okay? Just because our sin is different than theirs doesn't mean that we're better. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. Some of us need to get as low as we can, as fast as we can, and humble ourselves before the Almighty God. In that same passage I just referenced, John 13, Jesus chose to get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. Mind you, this scene was taking place just hours before his crucifixion. He got down on the ground and washed the feet of his disciples. He never even mentioned his own feet. Not once. Never thought about himself. Hours before his brutal death, he took humility to a whole new level. Never thought of himself, but rather loved and served his disciples. In that same passage, it says that Jesus loved them till the end. Think about that. Now the question is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Are you bearing any fruit? If you are, is it fruit that's bringing glory to God? Before judging whether or not someone else's fruit is good or bad, take a look inward at your own heart and ask the question, do I bear fruit unto God's glory? Let's move on to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Family, these are some of the most sobering words in the New Testament. I implore you today, don't overlook what Jesus is saying here. He says, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. They're going to say, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. In other words, man, I taught Sunday school. I never missed a day of church. I was raised in the church. Look at all these good works I've done. I fed the hungry. I helped out the homeless guy on the corner. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Don't be deceived into believing that good works or attending church or being a good person or teaching Sunday school or anything else will get you into heaven except doing the will of the Father. Did you see that in verse 21? He says, Not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And here it is. Underline it. Highlight it. Circle it. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Well, what's the will of the Father, you may ask? It's a good question. Jesus outlines it for us in John chapter 6. 
So if you guys want to turn with me real quick over to John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 40, maybe just an eighth of an inch or so to the right in your Bible. Maybe a little bit more than that, we'll see, a quarter of an inch maybe. Verses 38 through 40, we there? All right. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. Here it is. That everyone who who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. No matter what many may think, God's desire is not to reject people. His will is for us to believe upon His Son and be saved. 2 Peter says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. 1 Timothy says God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, it's laid out plainly for us, isn't it? Jesus grants salvation to those who have believed upon Him. But listen, folks. If you're standing at those pearly gates and you haven't believed upon Jesus, no matter how many church services you've attended, no matter how many good works you've done, no matter how many hungry you've fed, it's too late. He will reject you. Now, keep in mind... This is real important. There's a difference between belief that and belief in. Do not get these two confused. Belief that is getting evidence that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, that the Bible is true, and all that's great. But all the belief that in the world won't get your moral transgressions forgiven. Because you have to go from belief that to belief in. James chapter 2 verse 19 says that even the demons believe that God exists, yet they tremble. Why? They know intellectually better that we they know intellectually better than we do that God exists, but they don't trust in him. There's a big difference. Belief that is of the head, belief in is not only of the head, it's also of the heart. So, when Jesus says here, I never knew you, he means you never trusted in him. You never had faith in him. You never believed in him. Meaning, your heart was never his. So, in the end, there is one basis of salvation. It isn't mere verbal confession nor spiritual works, but knowing Jesus and being known by Him. It is our connection to Him by the gift of faith that He gives us that secures our salvation. Connected to Jesus, we are secure. Without connection to Him, all the miracles and great works prove nothing. 
Now, we're not far from finished, guys, so stay with me. Verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. The foundation, the most important part to anything structural, no matter how luxurious a house may be, how beautiful a house may look, how expensive the furnishings within may be, if it doesn't have a proper foundation, it will fail. No questions asked. If you're going to build a house, a spiritual faith, make sure you have the right foundation. Make sure you've found it upon Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Not upon a system of man, not upon religion or a system of works, but upon the one and only true God, Jesus Christ. Verses 26 and 27. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And uh, whomever is closing can wake, make their way up. I don't know who it is. But, um, basically, Jesus is saying that we're going to face storms in life. Things are going to be hard from time to time. It's not always going to be easy, you see. Not every day is going to be sunny. The rain will come. And these two houses, they looked alike. But one was founded on the rock. The other, nothing but sand. No real foundation. Don't build your house on sand. Don't build your house on experiences or feelings or material things. You'll say, oh, I felt so good in church today. Well, that's nice. But feelings, they come and they go. They wax and they wane. Material things fade away. And when the storms of life come around, you can't place any trust into those things. They have no substance to them. They fade away just as quickly as you receive them. And your house, it will fail because it's founded on sand. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, when the storms of life are upon you, you'll be able to weather that storm. Because you've founded your house upon the one true rock. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's finish out verses 28 and 29. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When Jesus finished his teachings, the listeners were so astonished. You see, when the, when the scribes taught, they taught by authority. Okay? Meaning 
they never taught with any positive assertion stating this is what the, God, the word of God states. Rather, they would always be quoting other rabbis. They would say, you know, Rabbi so-and-so said this about this passage. Resting all they said on traditions of what had been said before. They were blown away at what Jesus was teaching because he did it with such authority. I say unto you, you see. Not as the scribes taught, but with real authority. Why? Because he is the authority. There's power in God's word. The last question is, what kind of authority have you allowed Jesus to have in your life? You see, we can choose to allow God's word to have sort of a passive authority in our lives, maybe picking and choosing what we're going to react to, or we can choose to allow, allow God's word to have a governing authority in our lives and surrendering, surrendering our all to him. Which one do you choose? Does Jesus have a passive authority in your life? Or does he have a governing authority in your life? Why don't we pray and ask the Lord to help us surrender our all to him? Lord, we're just so grateful. We're so thankful for your word. We're so grateful for you Jesus, and for who you are, and for being the rock, and for allowing us to build our lives, to build our houses upon you, Jesus. I just pray today that you remain our foundation, that we don't build anything, we don't build our faith upon sand, we don't build our faith upon things of this world that we build our faith upon the one true rock, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you help us surrender everything to you. Lord, help us to surrender our all to you, that we don't just pick and choose to uh, react to some parts of your word, Lord, but that we allow your word to have a governing authority in our lives, as all of it is your word. Help us, Jesus, to just surrender our all to you today. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your grace and your mercy, and for being with us today, Lord. We ask these sayings in Jesus' holy name. Amen.